Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. It seems to happen every year as it's getting colder out. We thank everyone for braving the cold today. Thank you guys so much for coming here, being here. For those of you joining us online, hey, stay warm, stay safe. Thanks for joining us that way too. Uh, But you know, when it's cold outside, you just want to snuggle inside, right? And I don't know if you have a favorite movie or favorite something to watch or to read, but there's a lot of people in my life who end up turning on Lord of the Rings. I don't know, who, who in here has seen or read Lord of the Rings? Yes, and then how many of you are multiple, multiple times? Viewers, many times. Okay, great. We're all, in the, this, is a good, this is a good moment. Thank you. I need some people responding here. So I was excited because last week I didn't get to attend, but uh, Dylan was gathering some people to try to go because they were putting the extended versions back in our local theater so you could watch it on the big screen. That is three nights in a row because the total is 11 hours, 36 minutes with the extended versions. So it took three nights. And I won't even add up the time that it takes to read because I never have. Sorry, guys. I read The Hobbit. I mean, that was like, I could do that, right? Hobbit was my, my thing. Um, I started Lord of the Rings, and then I was like, I can't picture this. So now that I've watched the movies, I really think I, I might... My brain for fantasy, it takes me a bit, okay? So um, don't judge me. Now, people, why do we return to this story again and again? Um, I can feel it, but sometimes it's hard to put into words. And so I tasked some friends this week to see if they would share and try to put into words for me so that I could use them. That's what good preachers do. Okay, so Dylan, Matt, Eli, and Sam Routsett, I asked all of them if they would please, they, they, they liked to give me some words this week. Now, when I was reading their responses, I noticed some themes come up because what draws us in is pretty universal. So let's look at three different ways that Lord of the Rings captures our spirit. The first was friendship. The first book is named Fellowship of the Ring for a reason. There is a drawing together of people who didn't know each other before, who may not like each other. As Dylan said, different folk that are not fond of each other is the key. Several characters have to figure out how to work with people they don't like, but they need one another. As Matt says, asking for help goes a long way toward redemption. And Sam also said it shows that we must answer the call when others are in need. So there on the screen, we have visuals. And um, a family member of mine just said, you know, it was really powerful to her that when she, she didn't have strong friendships in her life, that she had hope that there was some more that could come her way, that she could look out for good people on her way. Another thing that these friends all mentioned was this idea of goodness. And simple, small creatures like hobbits striving to do small things that overcame great obstacles that would confront great evil. And as Matt pointed out, Lord of the Rings, the evil doesn't set itself as polar opposites of good. It's actually everyone is tempted at some point because that evil looks a bit fulfilling for a time. And so the reality of this journey um, is placed before us on screen, and it feels a lot like life. 
And finally, each of them mentioned the word hope. Because isn't that why we get into, into big stories? Any kind of story that you find yourself connected to, perhaps it's because you're ready to escape reality for a little bit, and you need to have that hope that, that there's a happy ending, right? That there is a good ending. And this one shows the reality that there is pain, that there is death, that there is hurt, and yet there is some sort of victory in the end. Hope comes from small things done with intention. Hope in the face of overwhelming odds. Always hope, even in the darkest of times. Those were the words from our Echo friends. So that friendship and the goodness and the hope, it might feel quite biblical to you, and that's on purpose, because J.R.R. Tolkien was a Jesus follower himself. And so he placed those concepts of his own journey of faith within his writing. And we have a new scripture series that we're starting. We're going to study in the book of Hebrews, and maybe, you know, Dylan, Shantae, and I, we try to be creative when we come up with our series, and maybe our minds were just a little too in Middle Earth. I don't know, but when we were studying Hebrews and we were looking at the different themes that came out to us, we decided to call this Jesus There and Back Again, because in this book, we are going to travel throughout history Because what this author is trying to do for their friends is to take them and show them this journey that God was taking people on and that Jesus was the culmination of. And figuring out our faith, it feels like a quest at times, right? Maybe it feels like those mountains in the background where you're thinking, I don't know the right direction. Um, I don't know if I can trust the people around me. I don't even know what the point is of this after all. And so we're, we're asking, who is Jesus and is he worth following? And that was a quest that the first believers of the day had to figure out. Because after Jesus lived on earth, and if they got to meet him, and then he was gone again, then they start to question. The more years that went by after Jesus' death and resurrection, the more questions people had. Because that long time span, right? And for us today, we set out to uncover this person we've never met. And so this is a journey, but we don't travel alone. And that's what that that feeling of that fellowship is all about, because we're in this together, even though we might each have to decide, right, on our own, who Jesus is and why he matters to us. We can do this within a community, that we get to travel together. And so We're calling this our quest into ancient history to unearth the truth about Jesus and establish trust in his unshakable kingdom. Because whether you enjoy reading history, theology, reflection, poetic writing styles, motivational challenges, this book has all of it, I promise. I was listening to the Bible this past year, and the words of Hebrews caught my ear. It was a different way for me to take in scripture. I don't usually listen. In all of 2023, I was listening to a podcast where people were reading scripture. And Hebrews, it wouldn't let go of me. And so I want to bring it to us together. Let's dig in to the book of Hebrews. And it's going to take us with Jesus. And we're going to go all the way up to Easter and a little bit beyond. But I think that will prepare our hearts. Because I think a lot of times, you know, what... The big holiday that everybody prepares for is Christmas. And maybe 
maybe in, in certain churches, but non-denominational churches like I grew up in, it was kind of like suddenly like, oh, when's Easter? Okay, here it is. So let's prepare. Let's go on a journey with Jesus so that we're ready. We're ready to think about his death and his resurrection. Now, there's a little bit of a mystery. The book of Hebrews is a letter. Just as we read in the fall, Galatians, it's in the New Testament. If you flip almost all the way to the end of a Bible, you're going to find Hebrews. And all of those were these letters that were written from a church leader or someone mature in the faith, trying to speak to different congregations, which they were meeting in houses. They were these, these small groups in homes, worshiping Jesus and just trying to figure it out because they were the first ones on the scene. And so they're getting encouragement from someone to say, um, here's how to do it, or here's how to keep going, or remember this is the Jesus that you're worshiping. And if you remember who he is, then it's going to help you live it out, Right? But the mystery is we don't know who the author is of Hebrews. Who was it written to? Well, we can guess, but not precisely. And we can narrow down the time frame, but we don't know exactly. So here is what scholars have uncovered. First of all, with our author, based, first of all, you have to base it on the style of writing. So someone knows Greek and Greco-Roman thought based on the language that was used. There's a classic Greek logic and rhetoric used in the book of Hebrews. The author also must be a person that knows a lot of Jewish history and scriptures that we would call the Old Testament because there's lots and lots quoted. And so the person has to have knowledge of all that. The language was sophisticated. And this always excites me. I like to talk about language, so let me geek out just a second for you. But I found this quote by Edgar McKnight who said of Hebrews, there is a parallelism of sound and sense, a variation of word order, and alliteration. Guys, alliteration is my favorite. I don't know Greek, but I w I'm going to have to learn just so I can get the alliteration of this book because that excites me. If there's a way to woo me into a book, these are the things. Okay, this elevated language, though, it's not the common Greek of the day. So the people receiving this letter are like, this is important. This is something that's drawing our attention because they used a very sophisticated way to write. The message matters. The author was not an original disciple of Jesus based on some wording that we find a lot about it by the end of the letter because we have our, you know, we have usually have greetings and you usually have like an ending to the letter. And some of the stuff that we'll come upon all the way in chapter 13, is going to give us some keys that we know that this person um, has learned about Jesus, just like the people in the congregation, through others. And also, they name hanging out with Timothy, who there's a couple of books of the Bible named after him, and he was a student of Paul. And the author references believers who were in Italy, and based on where the majority of Christians were gathered at that time, this is probably Rome. It's in Rome itself. So someone who has lived in Rome um, and perhaps writing to the others living in Rome. And all these details in mind, there's a lot of people who could fit the bill. So it could have been Barnabas who wrote Hebrews. It could have been Apollos, Priscilla, or husband Aquila. These are kind of the top candidates. And, you know, usually it's kind of nice to, to think about certain voice, but maybe, maybe the openness allows us to hear it from a number of people who could be narrating to us. What we do know is, about this author, is that they had a relationship with the people they were writing to. 
because you see a friendship and a deep understanding of the group. They speak of, I know what you went through. They use the words like we and our, like that they have been a part of a fellowship together for a little while. And connecting them together, um, they, they try to just empathize as well as speak to their hearts. Hebrews in our Bible is 13 chapters long. That feels like a decent-sized letter. And yet the author ends by saying, I've written to you quite briefly. So I guess the author was talkative. We can know that part too. But there's a history of conversation with them, apparently. If this is brief, then they've probably had longer conversations before. We can see this relationship here. This is someone writing to people they care deeply about. Also, by the end, the author states that this letter is a word of exhortation. And exhortation is a way of saying that this isn't just a list of facts. Like, I'm trying to persuade you is what the person is saying. Like, I'm writing you with heart and passion in a way that I want to move you to action. And so we could say maybe Hebrews is kind of like a sermon. So we'll put it that way. Now, the audience, who was receiving this letter? We're going to see that over and over, scriptures of the Old Testament are repeated. And they talk about comparing Jesus to the faith they grew up with. So therefore, we're going to say these people are Jewish who have come to follow Jesus. And a lot of people in the early church, it's hard sometimes, that's why I like to say they're Jesus followers, because when I say Christians, I might have a different point of view. These were people who grew up following the Jewish faith and have learned about Jesus and have turned to worship him. And so they are trying to grapple. That would be a lot to deal with, right? All the things that they grew up, their heritage, and now there's Jesus on the scene. How do we piece this together? And that's what this book is all about. So because there are references to a city um, and some other wording, and we were talking about Italy as mentioned, a lot of people think that this might be a group of people worshiping together in Rome itself. So a lot of scholars would say these are, these are urban dwellers, and like I said, they're, they're a small group meeting in a home, and it might feel like something we can relate to, a small church meeting in a city. Now our time frame, I want to show us like a timeline because this helps my brain when I visualize things. So we have Jesus' death, um, AD 33, most likely. Um, and then there is a, there's a man named Clement, and they found a, a writing of his dated precisely AD 96. And he mentions the book of Hebrews. So somewhere in this timeline, the book has been written. Now, there are references within Hebrews that talk about the temple and worshiping there. So then some people are like, well, is this still going on? Is the person writing about current day worshiping at the temple? The temple in Jerusalem fell, was destroyed by enemies in the year 70. So perhaps this was written in that chunk of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and the temple falling. That is, that's, that's the guess, best guess. Now, there is a purpose of the letter that we can find out for sure. We know these things. But it's best summarized in just a couple of sentences. The first is, yes, Jesus. That's my summary. Um, my summary is that the author is trying to walk their Jewish friends through to say, look, everything we were waiting for in a Messiah, yes, that's Jesus. Everything that God promised throughout history, yes, that's Jesus. And they want to say, Jesus is above all. And they keep elevate him, elevating him at every chapter we're going to read. 
Point number two, the second message they want to say is, hold on to that faith. Because what we need to know, it won't happen, it won't be verbalized in the letter until our chapter 10. But these folks had gone through some suffering. They mentioned property being lost and being persecuted. And that word is not used lightly. These people have suffered because they believe in Jesus. And I imagine that beyond saying that great harm, there was also probably very personal relationships that they had with other Jewish friends and family who thought they were being awful by following Jesus and rejecting their own heritage. I am sure people in this church felt abandoned by their own loved ones. So the author is speaking not only just why Jesus matters, but that it's worth holding on to. Because when you go through pain and you go through suffering, isn't that when the doubts creep in? Like, why am I doing this? Why did I choose Jesus in the first place if this is how it's going to be? And if the world looks like this and my life looks like this, then what is the point anyway? I think we can all probably relate. And so we have to keep that in mind, that this is why the author of Hebrews cares so much, is to say, just hold on. Hold on. It's worth it. So our goal will be to read this book, just as we've done in books of the Bible past. I love that we can read every word together because the the original listeners would have gathered together like this and they would have read the whole letter out loud, like, hey, we got mail. And they would have read it through the brief word of 13 chapters long. They would have read it all together and listened and probably gone back through to to reiterate things. We're going to do it a chapter or so at a time. But I want us to read every word. I like that we can read this together, and we might not reference every word. Um, There's a lot in here, but I want us to hear it and take it in, and may God's words move us. That is my prayer. So we're going to be in chapter one today, and we're just going to take an overview of how this begins and how Jesus is elevated in Hebrews chapter one. Let me begin reading verse one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This one I'm reading from the New International Version. I grew up in this, and this, these opening phrases have always stuck with me. Now, the beginning that this author is trying to do, he's trying to begin to say, here's Jesus. He wasn't just human. I want to show you that he was greater than human. And so the author begins by comparing Jesus to several messengers. The first one's here because we're talking to Jewish people here. He's like, our ancestors and prophets, you know, these were great people of the Jewish faith. And he's like, Jesus was like them, but greater. Yahweh is the name of God. We talked a couple weeks ago that we had read in the book of Exodus that God reminded people, you can call me my name. Yahweh, the great I am. And so 
We're going to call them that here. Yahweh chose a specific people. It was a family, family of Abraham, and they grew into a nation, the Israelites. And Yahweh chose them for a purpose. He said, I want you to live like me in order that you may be a light to the whole world. They always had this purpose. But people are peopling. And they didn't, they strayed. You know, we all do. And so Yahweh would send new messages to them. Just be like, hey, time to focus on this now. Let's, let's just kind of steer it back over here. And he, Yahweh would speak through prophets. And each prophet kind of had a certain theme they were speaking on based on where Israel was in the lifespan of their nation at the time. So if you look up Amos, he's calling for social justice. You look up Isaiah, stressing God's holiness. Hosea was all about forgiving love, the forgiving love of God. And John the Baptist was also a prophet of Jesus, preparing a pathway for Jesus himself. So this letter begins by saying Jesus was like a prophet, but more. He, he had all those messages, and he had an additional role. Verse 2 says he was the son of God, heir to the throne of heaven, and oh, also he made the universe. So he was actually Yahweh. And he didn't just make the world, he sustains it. He keeps it going. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Let's see another messenger that Jesus is compared to. Verse 4. So Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And in speaking of angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. So something in this culture of the day is what the author is addressing. They're like, okay, maybe there's this polytheistic culture that they're likely living in, and there's a lot of things, you, a lot of options for worship. And so this author is trying to say, hey, angels are great, they are messengers, they aren't necessarily worship-worthy. So remember that Jesus was worshipped by angels, therefore join the angels and worship Jesus. There was this, this, this persuasiveness here, right? To say angels were messengers from Yahweh, and yet Jesus is greater than. So here, the, the author of Hebrews starts here, and you're already seeing lots of scripture, right? And this one we have Psalm 2. 2 Samuel 7, Deuteronomy 32, Psalm 89, Psalm 104, all of that in those quotes that we just read. So already, right, the people have to have knowledge of this and also that they care about it, right? That these scriptures matter enough to them that they're going to say, okay, you're putting together the pieces for us. So the author is saying Jesus is who was being spoken of here, connecting some dots. And Let's keep reading. We're going to go to some more scripture that elevates Jesus' status. Verse 8. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. 
He also says, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels, ministering spirits, sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That last little bit. Humans were those who inherit salvation. So angels, another function of them, they're serving Yahweh, and they're ministering, caring for people. Again, the author is like, this is why you don't need to worship them, but worship the one they're serving, Jesus. More scripture here. We have Psalm 45, 102, 110. And these are ancient songs. We have gone through a whole series on psalms. So it's like people were singing these words. So imagine the people reading this letter, hearing it read aloud, are like, oh, I know that song. We sang that the other day. You know, but then the author is trying to say, guess what? Those words that you're singing out loud were about Jesus. You've always been worshiping Jesus and you didn't, just didn't know yet. And so the author is trying to take and say, Jesus is the one holding that scepter of justice. He loves righteousness. And so then they can think back to the things they learned about Jesus. To be like, oh, was he just when he lived on earth? Was he righteous? And they can put these pieces together. The author of Hebrews is saying, all of these words about, from our ancestors, Jesus was the one we were waiting for. And he... He is the one that we want to worship. As we've said, this author, they want their friends to know it's okay. You did place your faith in the right person. And that reassurance is good to have, isn't it? And so as we close, I want to go back to verse 3. Because this verse is the one that when I think of Hebrews, this comes to mind. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We worship this unseen Yahweh. And sometimes we're like, are you a safe God? Are you a trustworthy God? Are you a God that I really want to identify myself to? Who are you? And it says we can look at Jesus and see the exact representation. Who is God? What Jesus lived like. What Jesus said. The love, the care, the healing, the strength, the confrontation of evil. More than a great teacher, more than a prophet, more than a messenger from God, Jesus was more than a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Yes! He's all of those, and actually Yahweh. That is the point that this author wants to make. This is the truth that's all going to boil down to, is that Jesus is Yahweh. Here at Echo Church, that's what we still believe. We still believe that today. We've built our lives on it. We've built this church on it. And we'll unapologetically say we believe Jesus is Yahweh. 
He brought healing, hope, and freedom. He provides a connection to humanity and divinity. He was the radiance of God's glory, and we believe it. And I know that sometimes it can be hard to put your belief in something like that. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can still come and approach Jesus with doubt. Bring him along with you. You are still invited on this quest to learn more about him, to have a deeper relationship with him. It is hard, and that's why we journey together. Because there's going to be times when we each look at each other and think, what are we doing? And that's when we can help each other out. We're like, yes, I still believe this. Do you still believe it? Let's repeat it. Let's sing about it. Let's read again and remember why. The followers in the very first church, they had to ask themselves this question. For them, Jesus said he would return again, and they're like, okay, any day now. We've been waiting a few years. And the longer it went, the more nervous they got. Think about us today. Where are we placing our hope? How do we know we can cling to him? Throughout the rest of the letter, the author of Hebrews is going to take their friends there and back again. I'm going to trip over the rug. But there's this journey. There's this quest, right? And it is trying to put it that way to say, like, it's not going to be solved quickly. It's not going to be something that you flip a switch and it's suddenly like, my faith is on fire. Maybe you have those moments, but I feel like there's more of the day-to-day to be like, this was great. It was a great day. And then the next day, it feels like utter darkness. But we're all going through it. And there's so much joy that's unexpected. And there's so much hope that we can have. And so if we keep this, this journey mentality, this quest, this, this lengthening, that this faith isn't something that just fly by night, but it's rooted and grounded in so many years history and faith, the faith of others who paved the way for us. It's an ancient thing that we can take part of. Jesus was the fulfillment of hope, the redeemer of brokenness, the open door to the bright future, and so we want to go there and back again with Jesus and find that for ourselves too. So my hope is that We can have fellowship together on this journey. Maybe look around and think, this is not people I would have thought I was going to be church family with. I think that all the time about you. Just kidding. Um, You think that about me. It's great. We're unexpectedly together. And so why are we here? Why did God draw us together in Cincinnati at Echo Church 2024? How can we make each other better, stronger? My other hope and prayer is that whatever you're working through with Jesus, where your faith and relationship with him is right now, I hope that our time in Hebrews will just give you a bit more strength on your quest and your faith. So we're going to do this every week. We're going to open up the book of Hebrews together. We're going to read. We're going to grapple. That's where we've set our plan. So we're going to end in a time of communion as well. Because every time we come together, it's great to do different things. You can, you can sing and respond to God. We can read and take it in in our minds. And Jesus left us a meal. He left us a meal to touch and to taste and to smell. And Hebrews 1.3 told us that after 
He provided purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And we remember every week through a meal that Jesus died. And not only that, he rose again. That's that hope. He died and he rose again. And we remember his sacrifice and his redemption and his hope. So I'm going to pray and then when you want to participate, if you want to join us in this meal, we're going to have friends down front serving for us, and we're just going to take time to think about these words and think about Jesus. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you are Yahweh, and we can speak directly to you. We can speak with you, and you hear us, you know us, you've been a human like us. Thank you for wanting to connect with us and connect us to holiness, hope. Thank you for living through joys and living through darkness and giving us a path that we can follow, a role model we can look to. We ask you Speak through your scriptures. Remind us the things that we're struggling with. Show us, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. Thank you for giving us reminders through people, through the scriptures, and through the experiences that we have in our day-to-day -day lives. We lift you up. We lift up the name of Jesus. We lift up your holiness we lift you up as Yahweh. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.